0: Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 1 podcast. In this episode, we go over the topic of angiosarcoma from the oncology section on MedBullets.com. Let's start this episode with a clinical snapshot. A 75-year-old man presents to the clinic with complaints of generalized fatigue and weight loss. He states that over the past three years, he lost a total of 15 pounds without changes to his diet or his exercise. He notes that he can no longer complete his daily two-mile walks because he would get extremely tired halfway. Laboratory studies revealed mild normocytic anemia and mild elevations in transaminases. Physical examination reveals moderate tenderness to palpation at the right upper quadrant. This is a case of angiosarcoma. Let's now get into the topic. Let's start with an introduction about this topic. In terms of an overview, hepatic angiosarcoma is a rare, high-grade malignant vascular neoplasm. In terms of its epidemiology and incidence, it's the most common sarcoma arising in the liver. Between 0.1 and 2% of all primary tumors in the liver are angiosarcomas. With respect to the demographics, this occurs in older patients, usually greater than 60 years of age. It is more common in men. Risk factors include vinyl chloride, arsenic, anabolic steroids, radiation, and thorium dioxide. Vinyl chloride is used to make polyvinyl chloride or PVC pipes, wire coatings, plastic kitchenware, and insulation. In terms of the pathogenesis, majority of cases are of unknown etiology. However, this condition does involve malignant neoplasm of endothelial cells that line the walls of the blood vessels of lymphatic vessels. As a result of this, they can easily metastasize to distant sites. Common sites of metastasis include the spleen, lymph nodes, lung, bone, and the adrenals. The main associated condition of angiosarcoma is secondary bud chiari syndrome. This involves thrombosis of the hepatic vein that drains the liver. This occurs due to compression of the veins by the angiosarcoma. With respect to the prognosis, this condition has a very poor prognosis as the diagnosis is often very late in the disease process. The mean survival time is 5 months. Let's now discuss the clinical presentation including symptoms and physical exam findings of angiosarcoma. Symptoms include weight loss, jaundice, weakness, and right upper quadrant or epigastric pain that is constant and dull. Physical exam findings would include hepatomegaly, palpable mass, and distension due to ascites. Let's now discuss the diagnostic imaging modalities used to diagnose angiosarcoma. Computed tomography, or CT scan, is the best initial imaging study. Findings on CT would include numerous poorly defined variable-sized nodules, and the entire liver is frequently involved. In terms of other diagnostic studies, serum labs, tumor biopsy, and histology can be done to diagnose angiosarcoma. Serum labs often are accompanied by thrombocytopenia, and usually there is a normal liver function until late in the disease process tumor biopsy involves immunostaining that is positive for vascular markers. These include ERG transcription factor, CD31, CD34, and factor VIII antigen. Histology would show grossly hemorrhagic and necrotic tissue. The tumor is composed of pleomorphic spindle or epithelioid cells, often with bizarre or multinucleated forms and mitosis. In terms of a differential diagnosis, the two main differentials to consider here are hepatocellular carcinoma and cholangiocarcinoma. The histology on hepatocellular carcinoma appears as hepatocytes with differing degree of differentiation. In cholangiocarcinoma, the laboratory studies often reveal a cholestatic pattern. Let's now discuss the treatment of angiosarcoma. Medical treatment involves adjuvant chemotherapy as needed. Surgical and interventional therapy include partial or complete hepatectomy, depending on the presentation or location of the tumor, and liver transplantation because of the high recurrence rate. And finally, in terms of complications, the two main complications of angiosarcoma are liver failure and intra-abdominal bleeding secondary to liver rupture. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. First question. A 65-year-old man comes to the clinic complaining of abdominal pain for the past two months. He describes the pain as a dull, aching 6 out of 10 pain that is diffuse, but worse in the right upper quadrant or RUQ. His past medical history is significant for diabetes controlled with metformin and a cholecystectomy 10 years ago. He reports fatigue and a 10-pound weight loss over the past month that he attributes to poor appetite. He denies fever, nausea or vomiting, palpitations, chest pain, or bowel changes. Physical examination is significant for mild scleral icterus and tenderness at the RUQ. Further workup reveals a high-grade malignant vascular neoplasm of the liver. What relevant detail would you expect to find in this patient's history? 1. Chronic alcohol abuse 2. Heavy ingestion of acetaminophen 3. Infection with hepatitis B virus 4. Obesity or 5. Prior occupation in a chemical plastics manufacturing facility And the correct answer choice is answer choice five, prior occupation in a chemical plastics manufacturing facility. This patient has angiosarcoma, a primary tumor of the liver secondary to malignant vascular neoplasm. Occurrences are often associated with prior vinyl chloride exposure, which can occur with a prior occupation in a chemical plastics manufacturing facility. Remember, angiosarcoma is a cancer of the inner lining of the blood vessels that can occur anywhere in the body. Hepatic angiosarcoma is the most common sarcoma arising in the liver. It often occurs in older patients, usually older than 60 years of age, and is more common in men. The disease is associated with exposure to vinyl chloride, which is found in polyvinyl chloride, arsenic, anabolic steroids, and radiation. Patients present with abdominal pain, fatigue, jaundice, ascites, and weight loss. The prognosis is poor as the cancer is very aggressive and difficult to resect due to the late-stage diagnosis. Let's now review the incorrect answer choices. Answer choice 1, chronic alcohol abuse may lead to liver cirrhosis and increase the risk of hepatocellular carcinoma. This is due to malignant neoplasm of the liver parenchyma or hepatocytes. Answer choice 2, heavy ingestion of acetaminophen may present with RUQ pain due to acetaminophen hepatotoxicity. However, it would not result in weight loss nor a malignant vascular neoplasm of the liver. Answer choice 3, infection with the hepatitis B virus may also lead to cirrhosis and increase the risk of hepatocellular carcinoma. And finally, answer choice 4, obesity along with metabolic syndrome is associated with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. This is also associated with cirrhosis and hepatocellular carcinoma. In summary, exposure to vinyl chloride is associated with hepatic angiosarcoma. Next question. A 58-year-old woman with a history of breast cancer, coronary artery disease, gastroesophageal reflux, and diabetes mellitus is diagnosed with angiosarcoma. Which of the following most likely predisposed her to this condition? 1. Inherited dysfunction of a DNA repair protein. 2. History of exposure to asbestos three, history of chemotherapy, four, history of mastectomy with lymph node dissection, or five, hereditary disorder. And the correct answer choice is answer choice four, history of mastectomy with lymph node dissection. Axillary lymph node dissection is associated with development of chronic lymphedema, an important risk factor for developing angiosarcoma or lymphangiosarcoma. Remember, lymphangiosarcoma is a rare malignant tumor arising from or resembling constituents of blood vessels. Risk factors for the development of lymphangiosarcoma include radiation, chronic lymphedema, inflammation, and immunosuppression. Overall prognosis for angiosarcoma is poor with a reported 5-year survival rate of 10-35%. Let's now review two citations related to this topic. In the first citation, O'Brien et al., in a review of the treatment of lymphedema, note that lymphedema after axillary lymph node dissection affects up to 80% of patients. Chronic lymphedema with resultant inflammation can predispose patients to the development of angiosarcoma. There is hope that the advent of breast-conserving surgery and sentinel lymph node biopsy will reduce the incidence of these adverse events. In the second citation, Penniman et al. in a Cochrane review reported that overall survival after high-dose chemotherapy, or HDCT, followed by autologous hematopoietic stem cell transplant is not statistically significantly different from standard-dose chemotherapy for treatment of sarcoma. The authors recommend against these high-burden treatments. Let's now review the incorrect answer choices. Answer choice 1, the BRCA gene produces a protein responsible for repairing damaged DNA, While inheriting this gene leads to increased risk for developing breast cancer, it is not associated with angiosarcoma. Answer choice 2. While there is an association between environmental exposures such as vinyl chloride used in production of synthetic rubber and arsenic used in pesticides with the development of angiosarcoma, asbestos exposure is not a known risk factor. Answer choice 3 is incorrect because there is no known association between chemotherapy and development of angiosarcoma. And finally, answer choice 5 is incorrect, because while there is an association between certain pre-existing conditions including neurofibromatosis, Mafuchi syndrome, and RB1 deletion, and angiosarcoma, the association is much weaker than that shown for radiation therapy. And that's all for this review about angiosarcoma. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from these MedBullet Step 1 podcasts so far, please consider leaving us a 5-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you are not already, be sure to follow MedBullets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullets Step 1 podcast.